Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning. It's not that nice outside today, but I hope you guys are doing well. Um, we are continuing through our sermon series um, on Acts and um, this past weekend and last weekend for SNG, we went over, you know, what it means to walk with our black brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not going to say that it's not on my mind. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, it's very much on my mind, but um, I really hope that we can even put our what's going on in our hearts aside to hear what God has for us. Because God... Um, is addressing a lot of what's going on in our world, but I think he wants to address it and he wants to deal with us um, and t- teach us how to act and teach us how to think and teach us how to move uh, for his people. So let's just keep our hearts and our minds open. We're just continuing through our sermon series. I'm sorry it has been so thick, but it's not up to me. So let's open up to Acts chapter 6. Um, I am reading from the ESV. I encourage you guys because this is the book of Acts and the author of this book is a doctor. Luke was a doctor. So um, if you guys can just read from the NRSV or the NIV, that would be easier for you to understand. But I will be reading from the ESV uh, for discrepancies in the text. So Acts chapter 6. This is the word of the Lord. Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, 
All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we carry this treasure in jars of clay. Thank you, God, for your word today. I pray, God, that you would preach to your people. Abba, we come before you broken. We come before you confused. We come before you ginormously confused as to what the heck is even 2020. But God, we just pray that you would be the one to move in our hearts, that you would be the one to guide us to see and discern what is of you and what is not. Father, I will be preaching your word as you have assigned me to do. So God, would you hide me behind your cross? Not just on the pulpit, but off the pulpit. God, that only you would be magnified. We love you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon, we're going to be going through a mini two-part in the midst of the book of Acts. And the title of today's sermon is The Lynching of Stephen the Martyr, Part 1. The Lynching of Stephen the Martyr, Part 1. So we're going to be talking a little bit about Stephen, and we're going to be talking about the gospel, the, the church of Acts in Jerusalem at the time, and how Stephen came to be a leader, and why Stephen was martyred. Now you guys all should know, or a lot of you guys probably do know, I hope you know, there was a, the first martyr um, for the name of Jesus is actually this man named Stephen. His death is recorded in chapter 6 through 8, or his life is recorded in chapter 6 through 8, and he's the first martyr ever. And now we learn about him in Sunday school. You've probably heard a lot of sermons about him, but the question today is, is, and I think this is something that's really interesting that God is bringing up, is who is Stephen? What is the context of Stephen? And why was Stephen tried to begin with? And what can we glean from Stephen's life? So we're going to talk a little bit about why Stephen became a leader and then was martyred in the first place. Okay, so the context of the ministry of Stephen is actually very interesting. If you look with me in verse 1, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what we see here is the first thing that comes to life in light of chapter 5 and all we talked about in civil disobedience and Peter and John and the church praying for them, the first thing that happens is as the disciples, this is, it's, a, it's a terminology to explain continuity that they're happening at this, as the disciples are increasing in number, there arose a conflict between the Hellenists and the Hebrew Jews. What is this talking about? So the context of why Stephen becomes a leader to begin with is actually church conflict between who is called the Hellenist Jews and the Hebrew Jews. Now, why does this conflict happen to begin with? It's understood that as the church was exponentiating in number, growing by the thousands every time Peter opened his mouth, um, it was understood that with that came greater rifts and 
barriers. Now, who are the Hellenists and who are the Hebrews? The Hellenist Jews are diaspora Jews that speak Greek first. And the Hebrew Jews are the Jews that grew up in Jerusalem that speak Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke first. So the division is by language and it's by culture between the people that grew up in Jerusalem and stayed in Jerusalem versus the people that grew up elsewhere, learned Greek as their primary language, but decided to come back to Jerusalem to live. So if you can understand that in our context, it's like us Korean Americans versus Korean Koreans. It's the same race, but the language is different and the culture is different. And if Korean Americans went back to Korea and there was a rift between Korean Americans and Koreans, that's the kind of conflict that is happening in the church. So difficulties arose because of the difference in the Hellenists and the Jews in their language and cultural barrier. They were in unity. Now, Luke says in Acts chapter 2 that they were in unity, and they were. They were in unity, but even then, there was oversight. The Hebrew Jews had no neglected one met one group of the member of the Hellenist body of Christ and that was the widows so the conflict arose because even while they were in unity they were in koinonia they were in all of these things the even though the Hebrew Jews still really loved the Hellenist Jews they still missed like a blind spot the widows why is that significant Hellenist widows probably didn't have any family. Now widows, if you guys have heard Jane Doe preach over and over again, you will know that widows and children, they are at the lowest tier of the Jewish theocracy. They are the lowest of the low. It's very hard for a widow and a child to make it if they're on their own. But a Hellenist diaspora widow who's living in Jerusalem, they're not surrounded by relatives at all because they left their family in order to be in Jerusalem which means that they were primarily relying on the church for food. It's a very interesting concept. Because now, in this day and age, if somebody was living off of a church, we would call them a leech. But the widows, that was all they could do. And the church was more than willing to support them. But in the midst of language and cultural barriers, even though the Hebrew Jews loved the Hellenist Jews, they missed this blind spot. So when the 12 hear the church rising up in conflict, when the, when the church rises up and tells the apostles, hey, this issue is going on, the apostles go, hmm, what should we do? And they appoint seven of the Hellenist Jews, the Hellenist church, the members of the Hellenist church, to serve. Saying, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God to wait tables. Now, I want to clarify something about this. This is kind of like a side note. Waiting tables right now, what do you think of? I think of, you know, waitressing or being a waiter, right? Serving people um, as maybe hired help. Um, I, I automatically think to American consumerism where we believe that we should be treated well by any services and then we like act out and we treat them like they're less than us, like they're our servants. Um, but in this day and age, waiting tables was actually a very different understanding. The only people that served a table, a group of people, was always the leader of that table. 
So it was not actually that serving was a bad thing, but it was actually hosting. That was the only context in which you served other people at a table. Not only that, they say waiting tables, not just in the distribution of food itself, but they're actually talking about money. It's actually about managing money. It's like we're, they're basically saying we can't manage this conflict in food distribution and financial care and upkeep and preach the gospel at the same time. The apostles are actually not saying that this is a lesser task, but that they cannot cover both functions of the body of Christ. This is true. And so they say they, they are basically finding people to manage the church for the Greek speakers. And this is important. And they look for men of good reputation filled with the Spirit. Very interesting. Good reputation filled with the Spirit. Why good reputation? Um, not necessarily to seek the approval of everyone around, but it's the corroborated witness of that person's life through other lives. Like, let's say, for example, not to give this example, but I'm giving this example. For example, Amy. Amy, our beloved Amy, is the director of Arise. Objectively speaking, Amy is in college. The previous director was a 40-year-old woman that had been doing it for 25 years. A lot of people might think, if you just looked at the credentials, if you didn't care for who Amy was and how God was appointing her, you might, it's Amy underqualified. But it is the corroborated witness of everybody in her life, plus her experience in her rise, and plus the way that God has built her up that we all can witness to, that allows us to be able to see, no, Amy is qualified because God has called her, and God has qualified her, right? So the corroborated witness of everybody around a leader is really important because everyone around can speak, can speak to the way that God is assigning and appointing and raising up this leader. And that's why, that's why the apostles were asking for the opinions of other people. Not because the opinions of other people should be that person's identity, but because it does become evidence of God in their life. And filled with the Spirit. This is very, this is very important. The primary qualification of a leader of a church is not brains, is not talent, but it is the Holy Spirit. I could do, I could play the guitar all I want. I could preach well to you all I want. I could utilize all of my brain and all of my energy to speak the best that I can to you. But if I am not functioning on the Holy Spirit, if I am not seeking discernment and guidance from the Holy Spirit every single step of the way, I might as well not stand here. If I lead the church on my own. And so we see these two qualifications of a leader and these seven that are chosen to serve of the Hellenist Jews, of their people, to cover that blind spot when the disciples, when the apostles hear this conflict that arises. It's very interesting. We see, a, it's very interesting, in, a, in like a matter of like five verses, we actually see a conflict being brought up and communicated, a conflict being addressed, a conflict being solved, a conflict being voted on, a conflict being, like a, a solution being voted on and approved, and men reinstated. All five steps, five, six steps, right in those five verses. It's interesting. Right off the bat, you see church structure. Now, why is this significant? Why does Luke feel the need to bring this up? See, church is often like family. Like, I always, I always refer to us, and I'm always saying, like, yo, we fam out here. Like, I'm always saying that, but 
there is truth behind those words because we actually are family. And so church often functions like a family structure. Now, churches function in different ways. Our UMC has an SBRC. We have committees. We have a bishop that assigns pastors. In the Presbyterian denomination, there's a board of elders. They are the leading board. They are the one to make all the laws. They are as powerful as the pastor. You know, a lot of different denominations and a lot of different larger families have different church structures. That's actually a large way that the denominations are split up. Like Baptists, there is no leadership. The whole body votes. You know, Presbyterians, there's a board of leader, there's a board of elders. The UMC, we are Methodists, so it's very community-oriented, committees and leading bodies, and then there is the bishop to assign pastors because it's like a whole, whole family. Um, and so church structure depends. But one thing stays the same. Church members communicate in a healthy way and participate in the dealings of the body of Christ, particularly in negligence. What I mean by that is church members participate. They vocalize a concern of people that are being neglected or mistreated. They vote on it, and they follow through with it. So we've got these active members of the body of Christ. And then we've got these flexible, spirit-filled leaders that are able to be humble enough to put their plans aside, hear the needs of the church, and move accordingly by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the main, like, and, the, and of these two things that arise, the main thing that is clear is that preaching and praying and Praising and playing is not enough. One of the characteristics of church is meeting need. And often leaders are appointed in meeting a need in the community. Comprehensive, holistic ministry in its entirety cannot just be worship. It says in God's word that faith without works is dead. And we see here that the church conflict was not even like dealings or gossip or slander or it was actually charity and mercy. It was a conflict of unity. Mercy was a conflict of unity in the body of Christ that was harsh enough that the highest of the leaders had to come up with a solution. And so Stephen is appointed. So Stephen as a leader in his leadership is birthed out of mercy. And church is an active church. Not just with active leaders, but with active participants. Active members that communicate a need, carry out, vote, approve of that need, and help that need. So that's the context of Stephen. A lot of the times when we hear Stephen was, you know, preaching before the masses and that he was martyred, we think that Stephen was a preacher. No, no, Stephen was somebody that was appointed to help feed the widows. Don't get it twisted. What Stephen was doing was being the hands and feet of Christ. I will let that hang over all of our heads for now as we continue through. And the word of God continues to grow as a result. As a result of the church not necessarily caring for other people's 
So other people are being brought in. That's not what I'm talking about. As the church acts out in faith, the the word of God continues to grow and the number of disciples increased and multiplied. There are two verbs that are happening here. There's growth and multiplying. And that is actually a reference to Genesis, the creation blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. So in the active carrying out of our faith, the promise that God made to Adam is fulfilled in our lives. And what is that action? Mercy. Caring for those who have need. And so we see this leader arising after, out of great need. But that's not all. God anoints this man with the power of the Spirit and wisdom. He was appointed to manage the church with charitable assistant. And then all of a sudden, because he's a part of, you have to keep in mind, this is for the Hellenist, the Hellenists in the body of Christ. And so he is actually diaspora. Like, I don't know how to explain this, but it's like, like, you know how it's like Korean American, but he has that double, he has that double identity. And other diaspora people who had not converted to the body of Christ, but were still Jews from Asia and Cilicia and all these other places, they started to debate Stephen about Jesus. And Stephen, or Stephen, spoke not of his own wisdom, but in the spirit. And it says that the diaspora Jews could not handle the wisdom with which he spoke. So what, what does that mean? What does that mean? They could not handle the wisdom with which he spoke. This is not saying that they were, going, they were being bought over to the gospel. It's not saying that they were buying into it. It's not saying that they were gaining faith. They just could not speak anymore. They were silenced by the wisdom. Not won over. And because their truth paled in comparison to Stephen's truth, they started false witnessing. What happens to Stephen? After nobody could beat him in a debate, they get a bunch of people to witness falsely saying that Stephen has blasphemed. They rile up, they confront him, they arrest him, they bring him before the Sanhedrin in the synagogue. Now, what's very interesting about the synagogue, you have to understand Jewish the Jewish nation is a theocracy at this point. So religion and law are mixed in. So as much as the synagogue is a meeting place for people to eat and talk, for people to be in community, it's also a place where courts happen, cases happen, was brought, is brought before a court for infractions of the law. So he, he is accused for blaspheming. Now, what does blaspheming mean? A lot of people, we hear it, oh, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What does, what does blaspheming mean? It means defamation that is demeaning, that is ver verbal. Like when white people call black people the N-word. Technically, is that blaspheming? 
Don't know. I really do. I couldn't tell you. Um, but I do know that the people here, they were blaspheming, falsely witnessing. It's interesting. It's interesting because their idea of blasphemy is just defamation that is verbal. Speaking out against something that is verbal. Saying something that is untrue. That's what defamation is. It's saying something that is actually untrue. Why I point this out, well, I'll explain it later. So the law that Stephen breaks is blasphemy. Stirred up all these people that couldn't, didn't know what to deal with them. They, they stir the people up. They confront him. They seize him and they take him to the highest court in the land, the Sanhedrin, in the synagogue, which is both the meeting place and the courtroom, for blaspheming. But what did Stephen do? He preached the gospel and gave money to poor people. It's interesting here. This man is filled with the power of the Spirit. And we see happening to Stephen, the same thing that happened to Jesus not too long ago. By law, brought before a false trial with false witnesses and a ruling body that is biased and oppressive. In the midst of his work of charitable assistance and comprehensive ministry, he was persecuted by an unjust legal system and made out to be something he's not. Saying that he blasphemed. But what they were really doing was blaspheming him. Does this sound familiar to you? And so the lynching of Stephen begins. And you think, as you listen to Stephen's story and the facts, just I am presenting to you the facts. When you see the facts of Stephen's situation, how do you feel? What comes to your mind? All the people that are shot down and killed for their faith, all the people that are shot down unjustly, made out to be something that they're not in our country, I think of the Reverend. I think of Reverend Martin Luther King. A leader appointed to, to, to fill a need. Speaks it in power and wisdom. Gets shot down. When people are doing the right things, but still get caught by the legal system for God knows what that they didn't do. as the government shoots down the man, the only man doing mercy 
getting food for the widows, providing them assistance. Seeing the blind spot, filling that need, being the hands and feet of Jesus in unity. Now, why would God let that happen to Stephen? He didn't do anything. Why didn't he fight back? In regards to why would God let that happen to Stephen? I don't know if we can consider it that God is letting this happen. As Stephen is carrying out his God-given mission, I believe that human sin gets in the way. We have to be very careful. We cannot mistake the sovereignty of God for the culpability of man. Yes, God is in full control, but you cannot blame God for sin. Sin is not of God. God is in full control. He is over and under and hemming Stephen in in this moment. Even as human sin lashes out on the leader. And why didn't Stephen fight back? Why does he stand at the unjust trial, still speak his truth, and then just get stoned at the end? Why doesn't Stephen fight back in this moment? He does. He does. But you have to be very, very aware of how Stephen fights back. He fights back by proclaiming the word of God. Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians. It's Ephesians. It's Ephesians. The full armor of God. It's either Ephesians or Galatians. But in the full armor of God, you have to notice that the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the feet of the gospel of peace, you have to notice something about everything. The shield of faith. Everything is to protect a person, but the only thing that you can use in spiritual battle is the word of God. It says in God's word that the word of God is living and active like a double-edged sword cuts to the motivations of the heart. The word of God is sharp. The word of God is our defense. The word of God is our weapon. Not bats. Not stones. But the word of God is our weapon. Because no matter what they do to us, it don't matter in the end. They are not God. You have to understand. Some of us have made comfort our God. And we get afraid to fight a battle. And we get afraid to speak out the gospel. But you've got to understand who is actually God in this situation. No matter what they do to Stephen, Stephen was not afraid. Because God was watching him. God was vindicating him. God was lifting him up. You think Stephen just had his face looking like an angel? That is the spirit of God shining through his freaking face, his skin. Because the spirit of God is an actual thing. And he was not fighting a battle of flesh and blood. He was not fighting a battle of injustice. He was fighting a battle of the body of Christ for victory in the name of Jesus, for the proclamation and the spreading of the gospel to all nations, regardless of who they are. 
And so Stephen was not concerned with even the injustice that he was experiencing. Because his battle was spiritual and God was watching him. They, they tried to speak out with their truth, so they used force, because it, it didn't work, against the truth that Stephen was wielding. And even in the midst of these injustices happening to the body of Christ, the body of Christ knew that their battle was spiritual. What does this tell us? You know, I was not willing to prove I am imperfect. And I, as a pastor, am limited in even the way that I live out the gospel. I could be doing so much more, so much more for those who are in need. Um, I think, like, even as, you know, things were posted on Instagram and things were happening week in, week out, I feel so, I think this is my personal thing, I feel so helpless and no matter how many calls I make, no matter how many petitions I sign, no matter how much I donate, it doesn't really, it doesn't really do anything in terms of this ache in my heart. And so when God presented me with this message, I was like, oh, mm, God, I think you have the wrong person to preach this because I am not perfect. I am not, I am not myself a good example of this message that you want to be preached. But here we are. So let's learn together, shall we? Let's learn to apply this together in our lives, shall we? Let's go through what this means for our lives today. The first thing that we see here is the nature of ministry. That the nature of ministry is not just preaching, but it is charitable assistance. It is meeting practical need. And not fighting authorities. People were dying in the body of Christ. The leader, the leader, the main spiritual leader for the Hellenists died at the hands of an unjust government. But the body of Christ was not concerned with that. They were concerned with meeting a need. Do you understand what I'm saying? Actions in the body of Christ are everything. What are you doing? Comprehensive ministry is necessary. It's not just preaching, it's charitable assistance, relief work. Helping those who are different from us, who look different from us, who are in different socioeconomic positions as us. In unity, not in mission. I think it's so funny that churches, that the Korean church chooses to go to a different place in America to help poor people and call it mission. That's ridiculous. That's not a mission, that's unity. That's called being the hands and feet of Christ. That's an active stance that the church should be doing. The church is not political. We do not fight a battle of flesh and blood. We answer to a God that is sovereign, a God that is watching, and our weapon is the word. I wrestle with this so much because I'm not sure how to discern. Even myself, I'm not sure how to discern. Jane, how can I be present as a member of the body 
of Christ while our nation is going through this. I don't know. I'm going to be fasting for a week. I don't know if it's this week or next week, but it's one of the two weeks um, just to discern what our church should be doing. And if you wanted to fast with me, just reach out to me. But church, we got to understand what our role is. Don't just let your emotions get in the way. God gave you those emotions, and I value those emotions, and I validate those, na- those things. In Jesus' name, you are important, and what you're feeling is important. But do not direct it into human things. Channel it through prayer, and the word channel it, so that it goes the right direction. What are we doing? What are we doing? The meaning of the believers, in terms of the church, there's two things. Shared governance of the body of Christ through active participating members and humble leaders, but there's also institutional flexibility. Why? To meet the need. We as a church need to be flexible, not flexible in terms of what we need, but flexible in terms of what the body in this area needs. We need to learn to be flexible to fit the need of the time. We cannot just be stuck and say, let's just pray. No, we got to be flexible as a church. So when you feel these things, you got to understand God is placing a burden on your heart to be flexible as a body. To be flexible as a body to how we can help God's people. And everyone participates. It's not just leaders. I can do everything I want to help the body of Christ. Because let's face it, this is not an issue of social justice for us. This is an issue of unity. Racial reconciliation and unity in the body of Christ. Because our body is hurting. And when everyone participates, that's when unity happens. I can do whatever I want. I can go and serve. I can go and do a protest. I'm still discerning through what the heck I should do. But I can act. That is not the body of Christ acting. The onus and the burden, God places it on you because you have a relationship with God. Amen. You have a relationship with God. You are the one that God has placed his spirit in. You are the one that is called to live with God. You are the one with the crown on your head, bought with the blood of Christ. And you have a part to play in all of this. Don't leave it to your leader. Now, when we look at Stephen and the way that he faced opposition, that leads us to our next point. How does Stephen face the government in civil disobedience. We've been talking about civil disobedience since last week, but how does Stephen face civil disobedience? With the grace and the power of the Spirit and the wisdom of God, with the Word of God as his weapon. Why? Like I was saying before, we do not fight a battle of flesh and blood. It would be great. It would be so, and this is, this is one of the main things that God, and this is my personal testimony, this is one of the main things that God convicted and impressed on my heart in order to let me step away from wanting to do law and justice and walk into ministry because God was like, what do those people need? You or me? And I had nothing to say because there will always be corruption. 
There will always be injustice, but the body of Christ rises up in unity to meet the need so that the gospel is proclaimed at a given time. Our goal and our battle is not a flesh and blood. If you feel a burden to act, if you feel like your words and your actions and your anger isn't enough for you right now, that's because you might be facing a different direction than what you should be doing as a member of the body of Christ. We have a function. We have a role to play here. People will use intimidation and smear campaigns to legal action. People will hurt. People will kill. Do not cower away. Do not run away. Comfort is not your God. God is your God. Don't fall into, if you feel like your comfort is stopping you from doing anything, that's because you've made it your God, but that doesn't change the reality that we still answer to God. So y'all, we gotta wake up. You know what I'm saying? We gotta wake up. But waking up does not mean mobilizing and fixing our government. God doesn't care. He's seen so many nations rise and fall. That is not our prerogative. Our prerogative is unity. We gotta serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm so figuring that out. I have to say, I have to confess, I'm young as heck. And when I'm confronted with this word that I am even limited as in acting and in my limitedness, in my lack of wisdom on what to do and my lack of discernment on what to do in this situation, my heart is breaking because I'm giving you this message, but I don't have practical steps, but let's figure that out together. You can fast with me if you like. You should, we, let's pray through this. North Boston, we gotta move, church. We gotta move. If you want, if your faith is not gonna grow in your comfort, you gotta work out your salvation with fear and trembling as God works in you for his glory. What are we doing? What are we doing? I want to leave you with this. Facing opposition and persecution might happen to us by the government, even though what we are in the business of is souls. In the midst of being the hands and feet of Jesus, you might find yourself in a position where you are in danger. Some might say that it's just a dangerous situation overall. Do not cower away from living out the gospel. Do not make danger more powerful than your God. Do not dare to even think, not even for a second, that God does not reign over the danger that is present. And that the commission changes when it's dangerous. Don't look away. Focus your heart on the things of God. If you're like, Jane, though, I am so broken. I am so hurting. I want so badly for this system to change. I am right there with you. That is what I wrestle with. That's why I joined. Y'all, that's why I major. That's why I triple majored. That's why I got my job. That's why I was going to go to law school because I couldn't deal. I was going to get, like, you have to understand, I really feel you. 
But God is saying that that's not the answer. You know how hard that is for me to say? Y'all, all I want to do is get out there. That's who I am. Y'all know me. But we got to understand what we fight. Arm yourself with the full armor of God. Keep yourself spiritually present. Participate. Don't just fall into idleness and then expect to know exactly the right thing to do. If you're not being spiritually aware of what's at, what's at stake here, how the heck are you supposed to know what's, what you're supposed to do? Of course you wouldn't know. We are all sitting on our butts. How are we going to know anything if we're choosing to be idle? The hashtag is not enough for justice. The hashtag of Black Lives Matter is not enough for justice in the unity of the body of Christ. We have to understand what our function is. We are in the sovereignty of biblical justice, not justice as defined in the Constitution. Don't settle. Seek the things of above. And don't cower. The last thing I want to say to you is an encouragement that Jesus' is witness, Jesus's witnesses are close to Jesus in suffering. How encouraging is that? That in the midst of our suffering, Jesus is close to us. You look at Stephen. You look at what Stephen was going through. Does it not look just like what Jesus went through? Injustice, lynching by an unjust government, being blamed and pitted for something that he didn't do, made to be more criminal, made to be more dangerous than he actually was. The witnesses of Jesus are close to him, even when we suffer, even as we suffer. That alone should tell you that God is at work. That alone should tell you that you are not alone. And you know what? You know who's going through that right now? Our black brothers and sisters. Y'all, we are not going through this right now. They are closer in their suffering to Christ. And in order to be an active body and participants, participate, participating members, being the hands and feet of Jesus for mercy, for meeting a different need of a different people group. In any way that we can, Jesus is near to us. I mean, he's near to us regardless. They're not closer in intimacy with God. I don't want you guys to think that you need to do this to be close to God. That's not it. You are already close to God. But if you don't work out your salvation, you'll be rotting. John was giving a illustration, and many of you guys have heard it. Um, I could give a gazillion more other demonstration illustrations, but this illustration throws John under the bus, so I'm going to do it. He walked a mile um, when he was in Florida, and apparently the next day he couldn't move for like hours. He could barely like lift his finger, so he like couldn't move. He like <laughs> so he went on a walk. He wasn't even running, but he went on a walk, <laughs> and the next day he couldn't move, y'all. He could not move. Why is that? 
because he wasn't working out the muscles that he had. You're going to be an overgrown baby if you don't know how to work this out. We got to be refined, y'all. We got to be willing to put off our worldview and look to the things of above. We got to be willing to see how sovereign God is. We got to be willing to participate in the commission and love our brothers and sisters, not just in their humanness, but in how God has elevated them. Know your role. We got to know it. We got to own up to it. We got to own up to the ways that we have not moved or moved wrongly. We got to claim our faith in action. We got to be a ministry that is not just focusing on prayer and preaching and, and teaching, but a ministry that focuses on mercy as well to be a full active body. And we got to not cower away, not look away, but face it in the eye. Face that opposition in the eye. You can do it. We all can. Because it's by the power of the Spirit. Stephen didn't do it on his own. It wasn't his strength and it wasn't his words. It's the Spirit's. And the Word of God continued to multiply in the believers of the body of Christ. I don't know if you guys feel like you need to repent. I don't know if you guys feel like you need to plead with God. I don't know if you guys feel like you need to... I don't know what you guys feel. I'm feeling a lot of things. I don't know what to do with this sermon. I know I got to do something afterwards, and I don't know what that's going to be. So keep me in your prayers, but um, we're going to take some time to pray. feeling would you just lift up a prayer to God whether that be conviction out of conviction or confession or repentance or comfort just seeking out the comfort of God what is it what's going through your mind God hears you he's open to you Jesus Christ died on the great on the cross and resurrected on the third day for you so you can approach your God From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.